Chapter eighty one, part nine of the Adventures of Peregrine Pickle, volume two by Tobias Smollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Memoirs of a Lady of Quality, part nine. At the appointed time, they went to the house of rendezvous where they had not waited long when the challenger appeared in a new pink satin waistcoat which he had put on for the occasion with his sword under his arm and his steward by him leaving in a hackney coach at some distance a surgeon whom he had provided for the care of his person thus equipped he advanced to his antagonist and desired him to choose his ground upon which lord b told him that if he must fall it was not material which grave he should tumble over our little hero finding him so jocose and determined turned to lord a and desired to speak with him that he might disburden his conscience before they should begin the work of death they accordingly went aside and he gave him to understand that his motive for fighting was lord b's detaining his wife from him by compulsion the earl of a assured him he was egregiously mistaken in his conjecture that his nephew used no force or undue influence to keep me in his house but it could not be expected that he would turn me out of doors this explanation was altogether satisfactory to lord hm who said he was far from being so unreasonable as to expect lord b would commit such a breach of hospitality and all he desired was that his wife should be left to her own inclinations upon these articles peace was concluded and they parted without bloodshed at least these are the particulars of the story as they were related by lord a with whom i laughed heartily at the adventure for i never doubted that the challenger would find some expedient to prevent the duel though i wondered how he mustered up resolution enough to carry it so far that he might not however give us any more trouble we resolved to go and enjoy ourselves in france whither i went by myself in hopes of being soon joined by my lover who was obliged to stay some time longer in england to settle his affairs he was so much affected at our parting though but for a few weeks that he was almost distracted and this affliction renewed my tenderness for him because it was an undoubted proof of his love I wrote to him every post from France, and, as I had no secrets, desired him to take care of all the letters that should come to his house directed to me after my departure from England. This was an unfortunate office for him, in the execution of which he chanced to open a letter from Sir T. A., with whom, as I have already observed, I had some correspondence at Bath. I had, according to my promise, given this gentleman a decisive answer, importing that I was determined to remain in my present situation. But as Lord B. was ignorant of my sentiments in that particular, and perceived from the letter that something extraordinary had passed between us, and that I was earnestly solicited to leave him, he was seized with the utmost consternation and concern, and, having previously obtained the King's leave to go abroad, set out that very night for france leaving his affairs in the greatest confusion sir t a hearing i was gone without understanding the cause of my departure took the same route and both arrived at dover next day they heard of each other's motions 
each bribed the master of a packet-boat to transport him with expedition, but that depending upon the wind, both reached Calais at the same time, though in different vessels. Sir T. sent his valet de chambre post with a letter entreating me to accompany him to Italy, where he would make me mistress of his whole fortune, and to set out directly for that country, that he might not lose me by the arrival of Lord B., promising to join me on the road, if I would consent to make him happy. I sent his messenger back with an answer, wherein I expressed surprise at his proposals, after having signified my resolution to him before I left England. He was scarce dismissed when I received another letter from Lord B., beseeching me to meet him at Claremont, upon the road from Calais, and conjuring me to avoid the sight of his rival should he get the start of him in travelling. This, however, was not likely to be the case, as Lord B. rode post, and the other was, by his corpulence, obliged to travel in a chaise. Yet that I might not increase his anxiety, I left Paris immediately on the receipt of his message, and met him at the appointed place, where he received me with all the agitation of joy and fear, and asked if I had ever encouraged Sir T. A. in his addresses. I very candidly told him the whole transaction, at which he was incensed, but his indignation was soon appeased when I professed my penitence, and assured him that I had totally rejected his rival. Not that I approved of my behavior to Sir T., who, I own, was ill-used in this affair, but surely it was more excusable to halt here than proceed farther in my indiscretion. My lover being satisfied with my declaration, we went together to Paris, being attended by the Scotchman whom I have already mentioned, though I believe he was not over and above well pleased to see matters thus amicably compromised. The furious knight followed us to the capital, insisted on seeing me in person, told this North Briton that I was actually engaged to him, wrote every hour, and railed at my perfidious conduct. I took no notice of these delirious transports, which were also disregarded by Lord B., till, one night, he was exasperated by the insinuations of Mr. C., who, I believe, inflamed his jealousy by hinting a suspicion that I was really in love with his rival. What passed betwixt them I know not, but he sent for me from the opera by a physician of Paris, who was a sort of go-between among us all, and who told me that, if I did not come home in the instant, a duel would be fought on my account. I was very much shocked at this information, but, by being used to alarms from the behavior of Lord Hm, I had acquired a pretty good share of resolution, and with great composure entered the room where Lord B. was, with his companion, whom I immediately ordered to withdraw. I then gave his lordship to understand that I was informed of what had passed, and thought myself so much injured by the person who had just quitted the apartment, that I would no longer live under the same roof with him. Lord B. raved like a bedlamite, taxing me with want of candor and affection. But I easily justified my own integrity, and gave him such assurances of my love that his jealousy subsided, and his spirits were recomposed. Nevertheless, I insisted upon his dismissing Mr. C., on pain of my leaving the house, as I could not help thinking he had used his endeavors to prejudice me in the opinion of my lord. If his conduct was the result of friendship for his patron, 
he certainly acted the part of an honest and trusty adherent but i could not easily forgive him because a few weeks before he had by my interest obtained a considerable addition to his allowance and even after the steps he had taken to disoblige me i was not so much his enemy but that i prevailed upon lord b to double his salary that is leaving the family might be no detriment to his fortune his lordship having complied with my demand this gentleman after having stayed three days in the house to prepare for his departure during which i would not suffer him to be admitted into my presence made his retreat with a fine young girl who was my companion and i have never seen him since that time sir t still continued furious and would not take a denial except from my own mouth upon which with the approbation of lord b i indulged him with an interview he entered the apartment with a stern countenance and told me i had used him ill i pleaded guilty to the charge and begged his pardon accordingly i attempted to reason the case with him but he would hear no arguments except his own and even tried to intimidate me with threats which provoked me to such a degree that i defied his vengeance i told him that i feared nothing but the report of my own conscience that though i had acted a simple part he durst not say there was anything criminal in my conduct and that from his present frantic and unjust behaviour i thought myself happy in having escaped him he swore i was the most inflexible of all creatures asked if nothing would move me and when i answered nothing took his leave and never after persecuted me with his addresses though i have heard he was vain and false enough to boast of favours which upon my honour he never received as he himself at one time owned to dr cantwell at paris while he underwent all this frenzy and distraction upon my account he was loved with the same violence of passion by a certain scotch lady of quality who when he followed me to france pursued him thither with the same eagerness and expedition far from being jealous of me as a rival she used to come to my house implore my good offices with the object of her love and laying herself on the floor at full length before the fire weep and cry like a person bereft of her senses she bitterly complained that he had never obliged her but once and begged with the most earnest supplications that i would give her an opportunity of seeing him at my house but i thought proper to avoid her company as soon as i perceived her intention we continued at paris for some time during which i contracted an acquaintance with the sister of madame de la t she was the supposed mistress of the prince of c endowed with a great share of understanding and loved pleasure to excess though she maintained her reputation on a respectable footing by living with her husband and mother this lady perceiving that i had inspired her lover with a passion which gave me uneasiness on her account actually practised all her eloquence and art in persuading me to listen to his love for it was a maxim with her to please him at any rate i was shocked at her indelicate complaisance and rejected the proposal as repugnant to my present engagement which i held as sacred as any nuptial tie and much more binding than a forced or unnatural marriage upon our return to england we lived in great harmony and peace and nothing was wanting to my happiness but the one thing to me the most needful 
I mean the enchanting tenderness and delightful enthusiasm of love. Lord B.'s heart, I believe, felt the soft impressions, and, for my own part, I loved him with the most faithful affection. It is not enough to say I wished him well. I had the most delicate, the most genuine esteem for his virtue. I had an intimate regard and anxiety for his interest, and felt for him as if he had been my own son. But still there was a vacancy in my heart. There was not that fervor, that transport, that ecstasy of passion which I had formerly known. My bosom was not filled with the little deity. I could not help recalling to my remembrance the fond, the ravishing moments I had passed with S. Had I understood the conditions of life, those pleasures were happily exchanged for my present situation, because if I was now deprived of those rapturous enjoyments, I was also exempted from the cares and anxiety that attended them. But I was generally extravagant in my notions of happiness, and therefore construed my present tranquillity into an insipid languor and stagnation of life. While I remained in this inactivity of sentiment, Lord Hm, having received a very considerable addition to his fortune, sent a message to me, promising that if I would leave Lord B, he would make me a present of a house and furniture where I should live at my ease without being exposed to his visits, except where I should be disposed to receive them. This proposal he made in consequence of what I had always declared, namely, that if he had not reduced me to the necessity of putting myself under the protection of some person or other by depriving me of any other means of subsistence, I should never have given the world the least cause to scandalize my reputation, and that I would withdraw myself from my present dependence as soon as he should enable me to live by myself. I was therefore resolved to be as good as my word, and accepted his offer, on condition that I should be wholly at my own disposal, and that he should never enter my door but as a visitant or common friend. These articles being ratified by his word and honor, the value of which I did not then know, a house was furnished according to my directions, and I signified my intention to Lord B., who consented to my removal with this proviso, that I should continue to see him. I wrote also to his relation Mr. B., who in his answer observed that it was too late to advise when I was actually determined. All my friends and acquaintance approved of the scheme, though it was one of the most unjustifiable steps I had ever taken, being a real act of ingratitude to my benefactor, which I soon did and always shall regret and condemn. So little is the world qualified to judge of private affairs. When the time of our parting drew near, Lord B. became gloomy and discontented, and even entreated me to postpone my resolution. But I told him that now everything was prepared for my reception, I could not retract without incurring the imputation of folly and extravagance. On the very day of my departure, Mr. B. endeavored, with all the arguments he could suggest, to dissuade me from my purpose and I made use of the same answer which had satisfied his friend. Finding me determined on removing, he burst out into a flood of tears, exclaiming, By God, if Lord B. can bear it, I can't. I was thunderstruck at this expression, 
for though I had been told that Mr. B. was in love with me, I gave no credit to the report, because he had never declared his passion, and this was the first hint of it that ever escaped him in my hearing. I was therefore so much amazed at the circumstances of this abrupt explanation that I could make no answer, but having taken my leave went away, ruminating on the unexpected declaration. Lord B., as I was informed, spoke not a word that whole night, and took my leaving him so much to heart that two years elapsed before he got the better of his grief. This intelligence I afterwards received from his own mouth, and asked his forgiveness for my unkind retreat, though I shall never be able to obtain my own. As for Mr. B., he was overwhelmed with sorrow, and made such efforts to suppress his concern as had well nigh cost him his life. Dr. S. was called to him in the middle of the night, and found him almost suffocated. He soon guessed the cause when he understood that I had left the house, so that I myself was the only person concerned who was utterly ignorant of his affection, for I solemnly declare he never gave me the least reason to suspect it while I lived with his relation, because he had too much honor to entertain the thought of supplanting his friend, and too good an opinion of me to believe he should have succeeded in the attempt. Though my love for Lord B. was not so tender and interesting as the passion I had felt for S., my fidelity was inviolable, and I never harbored the most distant thought of any other person till after I had resolved to leave him. When I own, I afforded some small encouragement to the addresses of a new admirer by telling him that I should, in a little time, be my own mistress, though I was not now at my own disposal. End of chapter 81, part 9